welcome to Hard Case. This is Jude. In this podcast, we'll be talking about WNBA, particularly Seattle Storm, and women's basketball, and women's sport in general, and a little bit of life stories and misadventure of Polaris, my pretty, pretty face dog. Welcome and enjoy. Hello, everyone. This is Jude. Welcome to the very first episode of Hard Case and podcast talking about WNBA Seattle Storm. And fun oldest memory story I have for you. We're going on to talk about body shoots uh, in women's sport and women's basketball in general. So, uh, what a special day to start recording this podcast. Uh, so, the recording day is September 17. If you, a, if you are an Seattle Storm fans, or just WNBA fan in general, you probably heard of what happened yesterday, September 16. So in the city of Seattle, the Storm held a parade and rally for their third championship. It has been a long way coming. The last championship Seattle Storm won is in 2010, when we still had the spectacular Australian talent, Lauren Jackson, who sadly whose uh, basketball career, the WNBA career, ended too soon. Even though she is still involved in basketball in the professional level and down in, down under in Australia, she's no longer officially affiliated uh, with the WNBA or Seattle Storm at this moment. Even though her jersey is hanging in the key arena and her memory will always stay with uh, people like me and hardcore and longtime Seattle fans. I can't really tell you how long I have been a Seattle fan. I could, but just if I say that, you you will know my age. So we are not at that point to uh, share that sensitive information yet. But, you know, in the future, it will happen. But anyway, yes, let's talk about Seattle's third championship and the things uh, happened in the parade and rally. Of course, Seattle fan is always spectacular. They're just passionate, they're invested, they're always behind the team. That's why Key Arena or Seattle Storm home court is always one of the most difficult home court to play at in WNBA if you're visiting. Speaking of uh, Key Arena, uh, the arena will go under uh, renovation for the next couple of years and Seattle Storm will be played in a stadium at UW, so University of Washington, uh, a great campus, beautiful, beautiful campus just by the lake. So Seattle Storm will change their home court a little bit, but I suspect the fans' port will still be there, especially after this amazing season where we finally see the result of the rebuilding and the rising of the young stars and really a solid uh, and a team that's coming together. So far, we haven't heard any trading rumor of the starter, and I really don't think that's gonna happen. Subar is Seattle basketball. Subar is Seattle Storm. And she promised us she's coming back. And Bianca Stewart and Jewel Loy, I really don't see their leaving anytime soon. This team will be their legacy. And Natasha Howard, really. She finally found a team that put her as a starter where she can show showcase her talents. 
yeah, even though her stock gonna rise from now on, um, I think Seattle Storm will do their best to keep them. She, uh, she was the best trading decision they did uh, during the off season before 2018 season. And Alicia Clark, really, AC, she is the heart and soul of the team. She is instrumental, the unsung hero. And if you're not a hardcore Seattle fan, often you overlook her. But she is doing everything that you could to really secure the win for the team. If I would use analogy uh, from another another team that used to be my one of my favorites, Seattle Storm oh, is always my favorite. Has been oh, has always been my favorite. But if, if I'm gonna use a player and a team as analogy for Alicia Clark, probably would be Penny Taylor. Penny Taylor, um, Penny Taylor is all-star level player, a great, great international player as well. She played for Australian national team, captain for uh, OPA for as many years. But you, if you look at overall sport media, except those in Phoenix, she was often overlooked. But if you're a fan of that team, you see how many things she was doing to make sure the team success. And also, she was the fan favor, probably beside Dana Tawasi, who is again the face of team. Uh, but anyway, so AC, I also really don't see AC going anywhere. So let's hope a return of the starting five with our future point guard, Jordan Canada, and benches of many, many dedicated veterans and young players. So that is just uh, more of the factual and the fan perspective. Uh, today we're actually going to focus one particular announcement that happened during the rally, and this is actually this will give you a sense what this podcast is going to be about. We are going to share about our memory and story about WNBA, and going from there we will touch upon and go into discussion about something that's a little bit broader, something about gender issue and sport and women's sport. And today, this particular things we want to talk about is this is this is announcement made by the mayor of city, uh, city mayor of Seattle during the rally. She announced this. She's during the rally. She say uh, the city is going to rename part of the road. Uh, part of the North, uh, First Avenue North, which is one segment of the row right in front of Key Arena, they are going to rename that part of the row to Seattle Storm Way. So, yeah, Seattle Storm actually put their mark down not only in the stadium, not only in WNBA history books, but they are going to have a physical present, presence. They're going to claim a part of the public space, which is a big deal. Because if you think about professional sport and a city identity or the identity of a community, you often think about either the international or the national team, right? The Olympic Olympian heroes or the team that represent the nations <clears throat> or more in the city and local community. You think about the big four, NBA, NHL, NFL, or NLB. So you see um, a different example of individual athletes from those big fours 
or the teams um, from those big four, they get this. They get this honor to clean part of space, uh, pop, part of the public space under their name. For example, in Edmonton, where a city in Alberta, Canada, that I live, we have a big street named after uh, Wayne Gretzky, the the one they call uh, a very very prominent hockey player, Canadian hockey player, who has spent a big chunk of his uh, professional career here with Edmonton Oilers. So that is kind of an example that often we think about city identity or uh, in academic area we call civil identity. Uh, we often see this kind of sport civil identity that is, that is associated with men's sport or male athlete. So this, really correct me if I'm wrong, it, based of my knowledge, Seattle Storm, this incident that a women's professional team is given the honor to claim a public space, this is actually the very first one. So that is a great achievement. But, but of course, that brought an issue of thinking about why men? Why always men? Of course, you can say because it's way more popular, because more people identify with it. And we can go from there and talk to about a lot of other things. But that's just spend this moment to really identify how and to acknowledge how this moment is very unique and special. And of course, it has to come back to this fact Seattle is a special city, not just based on its culture. I'm not saying it is a city, it, there is more gender equality than anywhere else. But the mere fact that Seattle, in the city of Seattle, Seattle Storm is the only prominent professional basketball team right now. I know there are a lot of people still waiting for the return of Supersonic, Actually, there are a whole lot of movement and there are a whole community of people who want to bring back Sonic still, even after a decade. But the fact is, Seattle Storm is the sole survivor. Uh, no, I shouldn't use the word survivor. I mean, the sole representation of professional basketball right now in the city of Seattle. So that gives us this very rare, unique example of how actually women basketball can achieve this status. They can break into public space and the general consciousness as the group of people, the heroes that fight a battle on behalf of the city. So particularly if you again reflect to the beginning of the WNBA Finals, the two city mayors, uh, the city of Seattle and the city of Washington, uh, sorry, the mayor of Seattle and the mayor of Washington, D.C., they're actually making this uh, a battle between two cities instead of just a battle between two uh, women's basketball teams. Oh, cool. And also very interesting is one of the announcers during this rally really dec declared this. He said, with this third championship, Seattle Storm is not a niche market basketball team anymore. Seattle Storm is a bona fide Seattle, uh, Seattle sport team. What he meant is basically Seattle, we should stop referring Seattle Storm as 
quote unquote women's basketball team. Because a lot of time we're talking about NBA team, we don't necessarily call them men's basketball team. We simply call them basketball team, right? So adding this adjective of women's, we really narrow and limit uh, the status of uh, a basketball team, in this case, Seattle Storm. So it's basically saying we should refer Seattle Storm simply as a professional sport team that represents Seattle. Instead of saying they are a women's, you know, putting all those conditions in front of their status, a women basketball team. No, the Seattle Storm is a Seattle sport team. So again, this is a very uh, remarkable moment where a city, a community, really are able to transcend this uh, very gender line in our thinking about city identity and about professional sport and about who can represent the city's identity. So, of course, I'm very happy about that because Seattle Storm is my team, and this really gave me a lot of material to think about gender and sport and uh, all that fun thing. So those, so those are the things this podcast will, will be talking about. So, you know, for an event, to kind of have a brief discussion. We didn't even really go in depth too much today, but just kind of give you a sense and uh, just uh, a preview. For the next episode, we are going to talk about an athlete we just mentioned not too long ago, and which is Lauren Jackson. Lauren Jackson is spectacular, spectacular talent, and she ended her career early, pretty young, not like 20 year old or something, but still younger than you expected for an elite athlete, partially due to her struggle with injury and overplay. And from there, uh, we actually want to talk about uh, WNBA salary structure and schedule structures. And we are, we are going to bypass this whole debate, should women get paid more or uh, all the things like, no, WNBA is only worth it for the summer, all that kind of thing. We are not, that is not even in the key points of discussion uh, when we're going to talk about the story of Lauren Jackson. We really want to think, I, I really want to think about this, the impact of this type of schedule and this kind of salary structure that make women, female athlete or WNBA athlete, even those, eat, like, for WNBA athlete, even you, your thing, and they'll know this salary structure only impact the athletes who don't get paid as much. But no, the WNBA salary structure and schedule structure actually impact even the mega star. Super, Dana Taurasi, Candace Parker, Maya Moore, just name a few that if you're not a WNBA fan, just name one of those players on top of your head that you know playing WNBA. Those will, will be what we consider the mega star, right? So they're so well-known, even non-fan would know them. All those players I just named, they play overseas during the WNBA's off-season. And there are some consequences, the very real consequence on their body 
and eventually will impact their athleticism, right? If they're struggling with injury, if they're struggling with overplay, if they're struggling with exhaustions and all that. So from Lauren Jackson's story, we'll be talking about how that kind of structure really impact and limit how women can develop their physicality and athleticism in a professional space that is visible for a North American audience and how that interestingly come back to impact how we think about the ability and limitation of female elite athlete. So anyway, this is our first episode, uh, not necessarily full length, but this just give you a taste of what this podcast is going to be about. Thank you for listening and go storm. Hello, everyone. This is Jude. Welcome to the very first episode of Hard Case and podcast talking about WNBA Seattle Storm. And fun oldest memory story I have for you. We're going on to talk about body shoots uh, in women's sport, women's basketball in general. So uh, what a special day to start recording this podcast. Uh, so the recording day is September 17. If you, a, if you are a Seattle Storm fan or just a WNBA fan in general, you probably heard of what happened yesterday, September 16. So in the city of Seattle, the Storm held a parade and rally for their third championship. It has been a long way coming. The last championship Seattle Storm won is in 2010, when we still had the spectacular Australian talent, Lauren Jackson, who sadly, whose uh, basketball career, the WNBA career, ended too soon. Even though she is still involved in basketball in the professional level and down, in, down under in Australia, she's no longer officially affiliated uh, with the WNBA or Seattle Storm at this moment. Even though her jersey is hanging in the key arena, and her memory will always stay with uh, people like me and hardcore and long-time Seattle fans. I can't really tell you how long I have been in Seattle fans. I could, but just if I say that, you you will know my age. So we are not at that point to uh, share that sensitive information yet. But, you know, in the future, it will happen. But anyway, yes, let's talk about Seattle's third championship and the things uh, happened in the parade and rally. Of course, Seattle fan is always spectacular. They're just passionate, they're invested, they're always behind the team. That's why Key Arena or Seattle Storm home court is always one of the most difficult home court to play at in WNBA if you're visiting. Speaking of uh, Key Arena, and the arena will go under uh, renovation for the next couple of years. And Seattle Storm will be playing in a stadium at UW, so University of Washington. Uh, a great campus, beautiful, beautiful campus just by the lake. So Seattle Storm will change their home court a little bit. But I suspect the fans' port will still be there, especially after this amazing season where we finally see the result of the rebuilding and the rising of the young stars and really a self uh, and a team that's coming together 
So far, we haven't heard any trading rumor of the starter, and I really don't think that's going to happen. Suber is Seattle basketball. Suber is Seattle Storm. And she promised us she's coming back. And Bianca Stewart and Jewel Loy, I really don't see their leaving anytime soon. This team will be their legacy. And Natasha Howard, really. She finally found a team that put her as a starter where she can show showcase her talent. Now, even though her stock gonna rise from now on, um, I think Seattle Storm will do their best to keep them. She uh, she was the best trading decision they did uh, during the off season before 2018 season. And Alicia Clark, really, AC, she is the heart and soul of the team. She is instrumental, the unsung hero. And if you're not hardcore Seattle fans, often you overlook her. But she is doing everything that you could to really secure the win for the team. If I would choose analogy uh, from another another team that used to be my one of my favorites, Seattle Storm oh, is always my favorite. Has been oh, has always been my favorite. But if I'm gonna use a player and a team as analogy for Alicia Clark, probably would be Penny Taylor. Penny Taylor, um, it, Penny Taylor is all-star level player, a great great international player as well. She played for Australian national team captain for uh, OPA for as many years. But you, if you look at overall sport media, except those in Phoenix, she was often overlooked. But if you're a fan of that team, you see how many things she was doing to make sure the team success. And also, she was the fan favorite, probably beside Dana Tawasi who is, again, the face of team. Uh, but anyway, so AC, I also really don't see AC going anywhere. So let's hope a return of the starting five with our future point guard, Jordan Canada, and benches of many, many dedicated veterans and young players. So that is just uh, more of the factual and the fan perspective. Uh, today, we're actually going to focus one particular announcement that happened during the rally. And this is actually, this will give you a sense what this podcast is going to be about. We are going to share about our memory and story about WNBA. And going from there, we will touch upon and go into discussion about something that's a little bit broader. Something about gender issue and sport and women's sport. And today, this particular things we want to talk about is this is this is announcement made by the mayor of city, uh, city mayor of Seattle during the rally. She announced this. She's during the rally. She say uh, the city is going to rename part of the road, uh, part of the North First uh, Avenue North, which is one segment of the road right in front of Kirina. They are going to rename that part of the road to Seattle Storm Way. So yeah, Seattle Storm actually put their mark down not only in the stadium, not only in WNBA history books, but they are going to have a physical presence. They're going to claim a part of the public space, which is a big deal because 
If you think about professional sport in a city identity or the identity of a community, you often think about either the international or the national team, right? The Olympic Olympian heroes or the team that represent the nations. <clears throat> or more in the city and local community, you think about the big four, NBA, NHL, NFL, or NLB. So you see um, the different example of individual athletes from those big fours or the teams um, from those big four. They get this. They get this honor to claim part of space, uh, pop, part of the public space under their name. For example, in Edmonton, where a city in Alberta, Canada, that I live, we have a big street named after uh, Wayne Gretzky, the the one they call a, a very very prominent hockey player, Canadian hockey player, who has been. A big chunk of his uh, professional career here with Edmonton Oilers. So that is kind of example that often we think about city identity or uh, in academic area we call civil identity. Uh, we often see this kind of sport civil identity that uh, that is associated with men's sport or male athlete. So this really correct me if I'm wrong. It, based of my knowledge, Seattle Storm, this incident that a women's professional team is given the honor to claim a public space, this is actually the very first one. So that is a great achievement. But, but of course, that brought an issue of thinking about why men? Why always men? Of course, you can say because it's way more popular, because more people identify with it, and we can go from there and talk to about a lot of other things. But that's just spend this moment to really identify how and to acknowledge how this moment is very unique and special. And of course, it has to come back to this fact. Seattle is a special city, not just based on its culture. I'm not saying it is a city, it, there is more gender equality in, than anywhere else. But the mere fact that Seattle, in the city of Seattle, Seattle Storm is the only prominent professional basketball team right now. I know there are a lot of people still waiting for the return of Supersonic, Actually, there are a whole lot of movement and there are a whole community of people who want to bring back Sonic still, even after a decade. But the fact is, Seattle Storm is the sole survivor. Uh, no, I shouldn't use the word survivor. I mean, the sole representation of professional basketball right now in the city of Seattle. So that gives us this very rare, unique example of how actually women basketball can achieve this status. They can break into public space and the general consciousness as the group of people, the heroes that fight a battle on behalf of the city. So particularly if you again reflect to the beginning of the WNBA Finals, the two city mayors, uh, the city of Seattle and the city of Washington, uh, sorry, the mayor of Seattle and the mayor of Washington, D.C., they're actually making this uh, some battle between two cities 
instead of just battle between two a uh, women's basketball team. And also very interesting is one of the announcer during this rally really dec declare this. He say with this third championship, Seattle Storm is not a niche market basketball team anymore. Seattle Storm is a bona fide Seattle uh, Seattle sport team. What he meant is basically Seattle. We should stop referring Seattle Storm as quote unquote women's basketball team because a lot of time we're talking about NBA team. We don't necessarily call them men's basketball team. We simply call them basketball team, right? So adding this adjective of women's, we really narrow and limit uh, the status of. Uh, a basketball team in this case Seattle Storm so he's basically saying we should refer Seattle Storm simply as a professional sport team that represents Seattle instead of saying they are a women's you know putting all those conditions in front of their status a women basketball team no they Seattle Storm is a Seattle sport team so again this is a very uh, remarkable moment where a city a community really are able to transcend this uh, very gender line in our thinking about city identity and about professional sport and about who can represent the city's identity. So, of course, I'm very happy about that because Seattle Storm is my team and this really gave me a lot of material to think about gender and sport and uh, oh, that was a fun thing. So those... So those are the things this podcast will will be talking about. So, you know, for an event, to kind of have a brief discussion, we didn't even really go in depth too much today, but just kind of give you a sense and uh, just uh, a preview. For the next episode, we are going to talk about an athlete we just mentioned not too long ago, and which is Lauren Jackson. Lauren Jackson is spectacular, spectacular talent, and she ended her career early, pretty young, not like 20 years or something, but still younger than you expected for an elite athlete, partially due to her struggle with injury and overplay. And from there, uh, we actually want to talk about uh, WNBA salary structure and schedule structures. And we are, we are going to bypass this whole debate should women get paid more or uh, all the things like, no, WNBA is only worth it for the summer, all that kind of thing. We are not, that is not even in the key points of discussion uh, when we're going to talk about the story of Lauren Jackson. We really want to think, I, I really want to think about this, the impact of this type of schedule and this kind of salary structure that make women, female athletes or WNBA athletes, even those eat, like for WNBA athletes, even you, your thing, and they'll know this salary structure only impact the athletes who don't get paid as much. But no, the WNBA salary structure and schedule structure actually impact even the mega star. Super, Dana Taurasi, Candace Parker, Maya Moore, just name a few that if you're not a WNBA fan, just name one of those players on top of your head 
that you know playing WNBA. Those will, will be what we consider the mega star, right? So they're so well-known, even non-fan would know them. All those players I just named, they play overseas during the WNBA's offseason. And there are some consequences, the very real consequence on their body and eventually will impact their athleticism, right? If they're struggling with injury, if they're struggling with overplay, if they're struggling with exhaustions and all that. So from Lauren Jackson's story, we'll be talking about how that kind of structure really impacts and limits how women can develop their physicality and athleticism in a professional space that is visible for a North American audience and how that interestingly come back to impact how we think about the ability and limitation of female elite athlete. So anyway, this is our first episode, uh, not necessarily full land, but this just give you a taste of what this podcast is going to be about. Thank you for listening and go storm.